Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Welcome to The Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents from around the world. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Coming up in this edition, a former leader of the United States right-wing group Proud Boys has been sentenced to 22 years in prison for involvement in the January the 6th Capitol riot. African leaders gathering for their first climate summit have called for global conversations on carbon tax. And Chinese Premier Li Qian has addressed the ASEAN-China summit, hailing the strong ties they share. Starting in North America, a court in Washington, D.C. has sentenced the former leader of the right-wing Proud Boys group to 22 years in prison for his role in the January the 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol in 2021. The sentence of Enrique Tarrio is the longest handed out to anyone involved in the case. Hendrik Sibrandi has more. 22 years is a long time. Uh, the judge in this case obviously hopes that this sends a message to anyone else that thinks about trying to uh, storm the U.S. Capitol in the future or tries to overthrow a, uh, a democratically conducted election the way uh, things happened back in 2020. Uh, this was January 6th, of course. 39-year-old Enrique Tarrio was convicted back in May, along with three of his uh, lieutenants, of seditious conspiracy. He's an interesting case because he wasn't at the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, he had been told to stay away from the nation's capital that day. But uh, prosecutors argued during the trial earlier this year that he played a key role, uh, really a ringleader role, in trying to inspire uh, people to take the actions that they did on, on January 6th. Uh, he used charisma, he used propaganda, they said, uh, to try to get them to do what he had in mind all along. Uh, during the sentencing phase now this week, over the last several days, prosecutors said uh, they asked for 33 years in prison. They said uh, what he did uh, could have been a complete disaster. It was already bad as it was, but he said it, uh, they came very close to uh, really overturning U.S. democracy on that day. Uh, but the defense attorneys, uh, they said uh, they asked for some remorse. In fact, Tario himself uh, took the stand and asked for leniency. They said, uh, he said, I'm not a terrorist. Please don't sentence me to the number of years that the prosecutors are asking for. But in the final analysis, Judge uh, Timothy Kelly said that he did deserve 22 years, not quite what the prosecutors had asked for, but they, uh, he was basically, as I said before, trying to send a message, trying to make it very clear that actions like this uh, cannot be excused and cannot be repeated in the future. That was Hendrik Sibrandi reporting from Denver. The 78th session of the UN General Assembly is underway in New York. In his opening remarks, new General Assembly President Dennis Francis said the new session began amid a daunting global agenda beset by a series of what he calls cascading challenges. John Terrett has more. The General Assembly lasts far longer than the high-level debate or Leaders' Week, which starts in two weeks. This year, the 193 member states have elected a veteran diplomat from Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean. 
Dennis Francis as the GA president. Francis' slogan for this year's GA, rebuilding trust and reigniting global solidarity. Key issues will include boosting progress for the UN's 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, financing for developing countries, pandemic preparedness and prevention, and sessions on health care, especially tuberculosis. Meanwhile, the Security Council, the world body responsible for peace and security, will meet on several occasions during this year's GA, as it always does, especially during Leaders' Week, where the big names are in town. It's likely its sessions will be dominated once again by Ukraine. That was John Terrett at the United Nations in New York. Now turning to Africa, an initiative to boost Africa's carbon credit production 19-fold by 2030 has received hundreds of millions of dollars in pledges at the continent's first climate summit. The United Arab Emirates is offering $4.5 billion US dollars to develop sustainable energy in Africa. More than 20 presidents and heads of government have gathered in Nairobi to discuss financing and other support for Africa's fight against climate impacts ahead of a US climate conference later this month and the COP28 in the UAE. More from Daniel Arabmoy. Africa is reportedly losing between 5 to 15 percent of its GDP growth every year due to the devastating impacts of climate change. The continent's leaders are concerned about the burden of rising temperatures despite contributing the smallest share of global greenhouse gas emissions. This is unfair but in the long run playing the blame game is not the answer a more pragmatic approach is for africa to be a key player in the research in the search for global climate solutions many of the leaders attending the nairobi summit voiced substantial unease about climate change the leaders say that transforming Africa's economy on a green trajectory remains of the utmost urgency. The gravity and urgency of the situation will be downplayed only at our collective peril. They called on the private sector to play a greater role in building a green economy across the continent. Many of the delegates here say that the world needs a planet that leaves no one behind, a planet with a plan of action, and one that focuses on equal lives and livelihoods. That was Daniel Arabmoy on Africa's first climate summit. Moving on to Asia, Chinese Premier Li Qiang has hailed the long-standing good neighborliness and shared prosperity between China and ASEAN. He called for closer China-ASEAN cooperation at the ASEAN-China Summit in Indonesia. China and ASEAN countries have enjoyed geographical proximity and a close affinity. We have adhered to the five principles of peaceful coexistence and the Treaty of Amity and Cooperation in Southeast Asia. We seek common ground while setting aside the differences and we properly handle disagreements through dialogue and consultation. We consistently deepen practical cooperation in both traditional and non-traditional security fields. We have preserved peace and tranquility in East Asia in a world fraught with turbulences and changes. In particular, we've overcome the challenges brought by the COVID-19 pandemic with each other's aid through difficult times. That is a reflection of our brotherly ties in the face of adversity. Premier Li also highlighted China-Indonesia cooperation at a reception hosted by the China-Indonesia business community. 
He stressed that the two countries are committed to maintain openness, inclusiveness, harmony, and stability in the region. The premier also met Indonesian President Joko Widodo and other ASEAN leaders on the sidelines of the summit. Moving on to Europe, Moscow has responded to a New York Times report that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un plans to travel to Russia this month to meet President Vladimir Putin. The Kremlin says it has nothing to say. Earlier, a top White House official said North Korea would pay a price if it sells weapons to Russia after Washington warned that Pyongyang was in talks with Moscow about a potential arms deal. Meanwhile, Russia says Ukraine's counteroffensive is completely uns- successful on every front. Dasha Chinishova reports. There's been no confirmation from the Kremlin with regards to this potential visit. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said he has nothing to talk about in on this issue. But at the same time, we have heard from Peskov before saying that Moscow was willing to beef up cooperation with Pyongyang, saying that was a neighbor of Russia and Russia was willing to build its partnership relations. Also, we understand that these conversations around the potential visit of Kim Jong-un to Russia are built around the Russian economy economic forum that is, is to be that is to be held in Vladivostok between the 10th and the 13th of September. The list of the high-profile guests has not been released by the Kremlin so far. But at the same time, the Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu has traveled to North Korea recently, standing shoulder to shoulder with the North Korean leader. He also has said earlier this week uh, that Moscow was uh, not ruling out the possibility of holding the joint drills with Pyongyang. Moscow insists that the Ukrainian counteroffensive has failed. According to the Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu, Ukraine didn't manage to achieve any upper hand on any of the directions of this counteroffensive. The toughest battles are now taking place, according to Moscow, in the area of uh, the uh, Zaporozhye region. Uh, we also understand from the Russian authorities that Ukraine has lost up to 66,000 men and over uh, six, uh, 7,600 units of the military equipment. Moscow also insists that the Ukrainian counteroffensive has led to the Ukrainian decision to ins- to intensify its drone strikes against the Russian territory, saying that that was a sort of compensation for the failures on the battlefield. That was Dasha Chinishova reporting. Turkey and Greece are continuing their efforts to improve bilateral relations as the two countries' foreign ministers met in Ankara. The meeting follows the one between Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis on the sidelines of a NATO summit in Vilnius in July, where they agreed to improve bilateral ties. Mahal Badvid reports. On Tuesday, Turkey's foreign minister Hakan Fidan welcomed his Greek counterpart Yorgos Yerapetritis in Ankara. The two leaders then held a joint press conference where Fidan stated that the two countries had entered a new and positive era in relations. Fidan also stressed that Turkey was ready to continue dialogue with Greece without any preconditions, while Yerapetritis stated that they were ready to resolve their differences. The two countries have many contentious issues to work on, such as exploratory drilling rights in the eastern Mediterranean, the ethnically divided island of Cyprus and the status of the islands in the Aegean Sea. The two leaders noted that these issues were discussed during their meeting in Ankara. 
We reiterated our belief that the issues will be resolved through constructive dialogue between the two neighbours and allies. We comprehensively discussed our problems in the context of the Asian and Eastern Mediterranean. We have differences of opinion in the Aegean, which we have discussed in the past in consultative meetings. We focused on the resumption of the process in the coming period. We agreed to bring new approaches to resolving the issues. Meanwhile, Yere Petriti stated that Greece was ready to support Turkey's EU accession process given that it met the required conditions. It was also noted that the two countries are planning to hold a high-level cooperation council in Thessaloniki before the end of the year. That was Mahel Badavid. Finally, in South America, a powerful extratropical cyclone has swept across parts of southern Brazil, killing at least 22 people in the states of Rio Grande do Sul and Santa Catarina. Our correspondent Paulo Cabral has the latest. More than 50 towns across southern Brazil were impacted by the cyclone, its heavy rain and strong winds leading to rising river levels and flooding in several areas. Hundreds of area residents were forced to leave their homes. Civil defense teams have been leading rescue and assistance operations with support of firefighters and military resources. In the state of Rio Grande do Sul, one man lost his life when his pickup truck was swept away by the fast-moving water. Two others died as a result of lightning strikes in two separate incidents. In another case, two men died trapped in their car as they tried to cross a flooded stream. In the state of Santa Catarina, one man was killed when a tree fell on the car he drove amid wind speeds of over 100 kilometers per hour. On Tuesday, President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva pledged in his weekly live broadcast full government support to the affected areas, which have been hit by other severe weather events in recent months. Lula says climate change is to blame. What is happening now is a warning for humanity to realize that this climate issue is not a minor matter. It's not a matter for university professors, it's not a matter for environmentalists, it's a matter for all of humanity. The planet is suffering the consequence of human irresponsibility. In the most lethal recent event, storms killed 16 people in the state of Rio Grande do Sul in June. This latest cyclone originated in a low-pressure system, which had already caused heavy rain and gained strength as it moved toward the ocean. Weather forecasters say the cyclone is now expected to move away from Brazil, but higher-altitude areas may still experience dangerous wind gusts through Tuesday. That was Paulo Cabral on the cyclone in Brazil. The headlines again. A former leader of the United States right-wing group Proud Boys has been sentenced to 22 years in prison for involvement in the Capitol riot in 2021. African leaders gathering for their first climate summit have called for global conversations on carbon tax. And Chinese Premier Li Qian has attended the ASEAN-China summit in Jakarta, hailing the strong ties they share. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Thank you for listening. <laughs>